So this is a really well-known passage of scripture, isn't it? It contains miracles, it contains lots of characters. And if we look in detail at each of the characters in this scripture, we can see that they are all waiting for something. All of us are waiting for something, aren't we? All of the time. Don't know about you, I spend all winter waiting for spring. I can't wait for March. But we wait for holidays, don't we? New jobs, moving house, babies. We wait for people to get better. We wait for illnesses to be healed. We wait for family members, perhaps, to uh, come to know Jesus. Lots of things, I think, that you can think of lots more than I can. So let's use this story from Scripture this morning to think about what we're waiting for, how do we wait, and how should we wait. So as we look at each of the characters, firstly, Lazarus was waiting Waiting is an act of being stationary, isn't it? Or a period of time from when one thing happens to when another thing happens. That time of waiting. In his illness, Lazarus was probably inactive, stuck in bed. He may have known that he was so ill that he was going to die. And perhaps he was waiting to die. Then, when he did die, we don't know what happened in the next four days. What we do know is that his body was physically waiting in the tomb. The scripture tells us that Martha and Mary in Luke lived with their brother Lazarus in Bethany and they were all friends of Jesus. Indeed, Jesus had visited their house. So Martha and Mary were looking after after Lazarus, caring for him, nursing him, waiting for him to get better or to die. They were also waiting for Jesus to respond to the message that they had sent him to tell him Lazarus was sick. They were waiting for Jesus' presence. They were hoping he would arrive and that he would heal Lazarus. So how did the sisters wait? Well, we already know, again from Luke's Gospel, don't we, when Jesus visited their house, that Martha and Mary have very different characters. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Excuse me. (coughs) Martha was busy and active. She would have distracted herself by doing things. She wanted to get on with something. She was impatient. She couldn't wait any longer So she went out to meet him as soon as she knew Jesus was on his way. In contrast, Mary, she was overcome with grief. She stayed at home. She was quiet. She was inactive. Perhaps in shock. Emotionally shut down. So very different ways of waiting. Then further in the story, we see that the disciples, they were also waiting. They were with Jesus. They had gone with Jesus across the Jordan and they were waiting with him. They may also have been waiting for further news on Lazarus 
um, after they've been told of his illness. But in verse 8, we hear them say, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. You want to go back? They were frightened, weren't they? They wanted to wait longer. They wanted to put off doing anything. They were fearful in their waiting. Anything for a quiet life. In fact, they were so happy waiting that they tried to persuade Jesus that actually Lazarus needed to sleep. He didn't need any visitors. We don't need to go. He'd be better if we just wait. So a different way of waiting for the disciples. Then in verse 19, we see that there were many mourners. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. It's thought that Lazarus was quite a well-to-do, a respected man. And it was custom for folk to go and stay at the home of someone who had died, to pay their respects, to offer comfort. It was a way of honouring the family. Some of them may have been there out of friendship, but also in those times, mourners were paid to do the job, especially if the family were rich. They would have been expected to have certain numbers of mourners throughout all the rituals to do with burial. So the house was full of mourners. They were doing what they ought to do, seen to be doing the right thing. Their ordinary, everyday lives were put on hold. Now the next group of people we don't see until later on in the story, but they were the Pharisees and Caiaphas, the chief priest. They were there all the time in the background. They were waiting for Jesus to reappear. They would have known that this family had connections to Jesus. They were waiting to catch him out, waiting to discredit him, waiting for an excuse to arrest or kill him. They had spies all around, possibly amongst the mourners. But the Pharisees and Caiaphas were waiting patiently, biding their time. Biding, that's a bit sinister, isn't it? A bit revengeful. And then, of course, finally in the story, Jesus. Jesus was waiting. Again, if we look back at chapter 10, we can see that after escaping being stoned because he was falsely accused of blasphemy, Jesus had crossed the Jordan and moved away from Jerusalem. It was not yet time for him to be arrested. So he had to move away and he had to wait. When he received news about Lazarus, what did he do? He stayed where he was two more days. Why did Jesus wait? In his humanity, he would have felt the pain and the sadness of his friends, Martha and Mary, because of Lazarus' illness. Just like we do when someone is unwell. We want to rush to be with them, don't we, if they're close to us. When my sister was suddenly ill and lost her memory and was admitted to hospital about two years ago, Her friends rang to tell me late at night. They were my messengers. My instinct was to go straight away. 
I was 100 miles away. I needed to be there. I was worried about my sister, my mother, my brother, my nephew. But I was also shocked and reacting to the news. Why did I need to be there? Well, as well as wanting to offer comfort and help, rushing straight away would have been satisfying my need, wouldn't it? I wanted to see for myself what was happening. I wanted to be there. And in fact, it could have been worse. Andy and I turning up, my sister lost her memory. That would have been another two people she didn't know who they were. So it may have made things worse. I had to realise that my presence was not going to change the medical condition of my sister. God was in charge and I had to trust him. Jesus knew that his presence was not going to change the outcome of Lazarus' illness. Indeed, if he had gone quickly, it would have spoiled things, wouldn't it? He knew this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus knew he had to wait so that God could be glorified through the miracle of what was to come. In Jewish culture, they believed that the soul hovered over the body for three days. So Jesus had to wait longer than that so that after four days, nobody would be able to say, oh, he wasn't really dead. In his waiting, Jesus was calm, he was patient, he trusted Father God for the right time. He is obedient and he is unafraid for his friends. Let us go back, he says, when the time is right. So we see everybody in the scripture was waiting for something different. Everyone was waiting in a different way. Part of life is learning to wait, isn't it? We all do wait differently, don't we? We have different ways of coping, different strategies. Calmness, control, clear-headed, patient, stillness, inactive, a complete stop sometimes. Some of us like to distract ourselves. Some like to keep busy. Some are impatient. We can be overwhelmed. It can be difficult to concentrate. We might feel we're in limbo, in a bit of a fog. We might enjoy the waiting. There might be an anticipation of what's to come. There might be denial, wanting to put things off, that bit of fear. Or we may be biding our time a bit revengeful. We can become wrapped up in ourselves, in our problems, in ours and in others waiting. A bit like Lazarus wrapped in the grave clothes. The wrapping separates us from Jesus, stops us fully believing Christ's promises for us, ties us down and binds us up. And that prevents our freedom in choosing to walk with Jesus through the good times and the bad. 
So our example in this story, of course, is Jesus. He was waiting on God. He was patient. He was trusting. How do we wait? We often pray, don't we? But are our prayers demanding? Are we asking God to speed up the waiting? Is it still on our terms? Give us what we're praying for. But this morning, what are you waiting for? And how do you react when you're waiting? Do you identify with anybody in the story? Eventually, the waiting is over. Jesus arrives. Martha runs to meet Jesus. And what is the first thing she says to him? Lord, Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So her first sentence is a complaint. If only. How often do we do that? We wait for someone, they're late, they don't bring the right thing, we immediately complain. Where have you been? Didn't you get my text? There's almost an element of anger in Martha's greeting, isn't there? When the children were really small and uh, I had been on my own with them all week and I was expecting Andy home from travelling away and he didn't make it on time, I used to get really frustrated. I would look forward to the time when Andy would be home and I would not be on my own any longer. I would watch the clock. Pure selfishness. My disappointment, tiredness, mixed with a little bit of worry in case there'd been an accident and something had happened, would turn to frustration. And the greeting would have been when he walked in the door, where have you been? As if he'd done it on purpose, made the train or the plane late. But I recognise this reaction in Martha. Her hopes had been dashed. She wanted Jesus to save her brother And she lost hope when he died. As far as she was concerned, Jesus had come too late, or so she thought. Do we get to that point like Martha, where we think our waiting has been a waste of time? Do we doubt that Jesus will turn up, answer our prayers? Do we try and sort it ourselves? What happens when Martha meets Jesus face to face. She realises, doesn't she? And she corrects herself. As she looks at him, she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She remembers who she's speaking to and realises what she is saying. There's nothing to suggest to Martha at this point that a miracle was going to happen. Even when Jesus tells her that her brother will rise again, she still doesn't fully understand. Would you if someone said that to you? 
Martha responds with a sort of dismissive, yes, yes, I know, he'll be raised when everybody else says yes, yes. But then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live forever. Sorry, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever, whoever lives in, by believing in me will never die. He pointed out to her the connection between himself and the resurrection that was to come. Without him, there would be no resurrection that Martha referred to so dismissively. Now this was completely new teaching at this point. Jesus had not made this kind of statement before. Then Jesus looks at Martha, doesn't he? And he asks a direct question. Do you believe this? He says. Look at Martha's reply. Yes, Lord, she says. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come into the world. Martha was able to answer really clearly that she believed that Jesus was, who Jesus was, and all that he said, even though she didn't fully understand it. She didn't have the bigger picture of what God was planning, but she still believed. She recognised Jesus for who he is and what he said. She had a personal encounter with Jesus face to face. And her belief restored her hope. Isn't that amazing? Her belief restored her hope. So much so that she goes to fetch Mary. Mary can also be in Jesus' presence, be comforted by Jesus' words. And I like to think that when we have met with Jesus, that we want to share him with others as well, don't we? We'd be excited, wouldn't we? So Mary comes and she falls at Jesus' feet. She says the same as Mary, as Martha. If only. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But this time, she is weeping. She is overcome with grief. She has lost hope. And when Jesus meets with Mary, he could have criticised her, couldn't he, for doubting him. He could have told her off for that greeting, but he didn't. We see Jesus' compassion, don't we? His tears for his friend. Even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus, yet he wept with Mary. He was deeply moved. There will be times of sadness and suffering, times of waiting in our lives. But they will not last forever. The Bible does not promise us that if we believe in Jesus, we will never have any problems. But the problems we have are those that may come to anyone throughout the course of life. 
In James it tells us, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Not if we face trials, but when we face trials. Trials are a time of waiting. In our waiting, we are not alone. We have Jesus' presence with us all the time. Not like Martha and Mary. We are blessed to live after Jesus rose again. What reassurance we have that they did not. But do we wonder, like Mary, if God has forgotten us in our waiting sometimes? Do we give up hope? Do we think waiting is a waste of time? Our lives are busy. We have things to do. Do we become a bit hopeless? Hopelessness is a very dark place to be, a difficult place to be. To restore our hope, we have to believe Jesus' words. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this this morning? Do you believe the trust and the promise, the gift that is waiting for us? This is the ultimate waiting, isn't it? The thing after all the waiting in our lives. This is the ultimate waiting for Jesus' promise that we shall never die. And finally, everyone in this story is waiting on Jesus' actions and his presence. It was all about belief. Whatever we are waiting for, we should wait on God. God is always working in our waiting. Even when we can't see what he's doing, he's always working to accomplish his purpose in our lives. We need to trust him, trust in his love for us, the love that we see that he shares, shows to Martha and Mary. So if you're waiting today, I encourage you today not to give up hope. God will come through. David knew how to wait, didn't he? He knew that God's word, our Bible, holds all the answers And as you see, it tells us in the Psalms, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word, I put my hope. When we wait, we should wait patiently, following Jesus' example, knowing that waiting is never wasted when you are waiting on God. And his word in Jeremiah tells us, for I know the plans I have for you, Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. We have to trust that God has a bigger plan than we can ever see and that his timing is perfect. In this instance, the waiting ended in a miracle. So I've already said Martha and Mary weren't expecting a miracle. 
Yet it was the right time and the right place for Jesus to perform one of his greatest miracles. Why? Why a miracle? The miracle of Lazarus serves many purposes. It shows Jesus' love for his friends. It shows and confirms the belief of Martha. It shows how someone can be completely restored by Jesus. It proves God's existence. It converted many witnesses. It also served as a prophecy, pointing towards Christ's death and resurrection. It showed there was always a bigger plan. This miracle led to the decision of the Sanhedrin to kill Jesus. Caiaphas' prophecy was used to fulfil God's plan to sacrifice his own son. And these purposes are the same ones that we can experience when we have been waiting or when we are waiting, even if it's not always a miracle. We can wait on God, and in our waiting we can know that Jesus loves us, that God speaks today, the same as he did all those thousands of years ago through his word and his scripture. We can know that when we meet with him, he strengthens our belief. And in turn, our belief in Jesus can restore our hope. We can be able to look forward. Our patience in our waiting can be an example to others. It may convert others. It may encourage others. And we can know that God's plan is to prosper us, to work for our good. When we look back, we will be able to see that it was part of God's bigger plan for our lives when we were waiting. Hope cannot be destroyed if we fix our eyes on Jesus and we wait on God's timing. So what are you waiting for? And in your waiting, are you waiting on God? Let's pray, shall we? Thank you that whatever we are waiting for, that you, Father God, are waiting in us as we wait. Help us to strengthen our belief as we look to meet with Jesus daily. And in our waiting as we pray, I'm going to invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us now. We're going to wait on God's presence. I pray that each one will offer to you, Father God, what it is that is deep in their hearts that they are waiting for in this place this morning. going to have some silence 
whether you want to speak out your prayers or just to offer them to God in silence. Come, Holy Spirit.